We've just sung about the fact that Jesus has resurrected us. As we, we've sung it as something that is already completed and done. And we, there's so many passages in the New Testament from Corinthians and various other places that I could have read this morning about the fact that um, death has no sting. And to be honest, we don't have to be concerned about dying because we've already died, essentially. Not physically, but we've already, it's already happened. We are already resurrected. We are, it's a done deal. And that's why this weekend is always so pivotal in our calendar in terms of being Christian. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus that actually is the fulcrum of everything that's happened. So I want to read to you from John 20. It's from verse 19, and I'm only going to read uh, to verse 22. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Shalom. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Shalom. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to drop it there. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Then I'd like to read from Colossians. I have read in the last little while, for those of you who are visiting, it's great to have you. I've been doing stuff over the Lent period on creation care. And um, this is the kind of the final one. This is Colossians, which we have mentioned so far. Chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that everything in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I emphasize that because we'll come to it in a minute, I hope. I'm now going to read that same passage in the message because it is vastly different and in the language of more modern um, parlance, it says this, We look at his son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the son and see God's original purpose in everything created. 
For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. And then he continues. I suppose this isn't classically a sermon in the traditional sense of the word, because I want to just maybe even ramble a little bit. Maybe I do that every Sunday. I don't know. You have to ask everybody here. But essentially, I want to start off by saying that the resurrection that we celebrate today inaugurates a new reality. The resurrection of Jesus is actually the beginning of a new world order. And the early church, by the time, you see, when, when we look at history in terms of the Constantinian era, when Constantine kind of made it the official religion, and over a period of 80 to 150 years, it just became embedded in the fabric of the power structure of the time. But before that period, the first three centuries of the church, the Easter Sunday was recognized as the beginning of a new creation, as the, as the essential starting point of something made completely new. It was the beginning of the end of the world. Now, traditionally, in a lot of circles, the end of the world is seen as something that's still future, that's still coming. In essence, what's happened is that the end of the world has already happened in the resurrection of Jesus. The end has come. And we haven't got time this morning to look into the implications of Jesus, who is part of the whole creation and the end of the world as it is, the Alpha and the, the Omega. But essentially, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we are actually saying is that the new world has already begun and we are participant and helping in the process of seeing the establishment of that order as the church. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and I think a whole lot of you could probably quote that. Um, oh, no, that's the wrong one. This is always the, a problem with me and the technology stuff. Verse 17 said, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Now, we have traditionally... Uh, translated that as anyone who's in Christ is a new creation, as if the only renewal of creation is human. And even as we sung this morning, we sang together <coughs> that um, he came to redeem the whole of creation. We've read carefully from Colossians, and that's why I read it twice, 
that Jesus comes and when he dies and rises again, it's the beginning of the uh, renewal of the whole world. Rocks and plants and stars and everything else. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. It's a, it's a celebration today of the fact that things have turned around. And you say, yeah, right. How many of you are not feeling well this morning? I mean, those two had COVID all week last week um, and so on. But the end is not here in its completeness yet. It's begun. The end has begun with the resurrection of Jesus. And the, the role of us as those who are followers of Jesus is to see the kingdom come. It's a marriage of heaven and earth. It's the coming together of all of God's reality in our, in our literal physical being. What we have looked at, and I'm not going to spend hours on this, but what we have looked at is that God isn't coming to re-energize the old creation. There was a bigger purpose in the whole process anyway. Um, Essentially, um, what John does with the passage that we read from John 20 is that he's bringing to mind what actually happened in the garden. Jesus is coming all the way back to where God formed man out of the dust of the earth. That's what we actually are. The only thing that is different is that he breathed into us his breath. And there is the sense of his life and we are formed in his image. Just as Jesus is the image of the Father, so we are the image of who God is. And, and, and that creativity, all that we understand of who God is, is actually vested in us as an image, as a, a way of showing God's presence. And last week we looked at and I'm not, don't worry, I'm not going to do the whole thing again. But essentially last week we looked at the fact that the first seven days of creation and the first two chapters in Genesis are about trying to express to the people of Israel and to us what God's original purpose was. So much of us, so much of, let me just put it this way, so much of my upbringing in the church, so much of the stuff that I was fed right from the beginning was that there is sin and you need a redeemer and Jesus is that redeemer and therefore it's a great thing and it cut out all the first portion of the thing where God expresses what his purpose was and he, his purpose really was he created the world and we talk about that world in the Greek as the cosmos he created the cosmos in all its majesty so that he could be present with it and in it and that he could have a relationship with us. So he breathed his life into us so that we could have a relationship with him. Now, the essence of chapter 3 verse 15 where all the things went backwards and there was this malignancy that came in, this brokenness, was a rupture of relationship. And all the way, if you go through what I did last week, it's all the way through, there's this 
trying, of man trying to reestablish a relationship with that sense of the divine within him maybe or the divine outside of him and how when you try from this side to do it, it breaks down. And so God in chapter 12 reinstitutes a covenant with Abraham and says you will be blessed. Not just that you're going to have lots of herds and flocks and all that kind of thing, but the blessing is that you come back into a harmonious whole relationship with the purpose for which God created the world. And then it goes wrong again. And so God comes and lives, builds his relationship with Israel in the tabernacle and then the land and in the temple and it still goes wrong. And it's only as the prophets start to mull over the stuff and God uses them to say, well, do you know what? God is going to have to fix this in some way permanently. So the essence of the gospel is that he sends himself to fix it. Redemption is not something that started out in God's mind. He wants relationship with us. He wants to have that intimacy and to have us as part of collaboration in the ongoing process of creation, but it got ruptured in the beginning. And so he tries to establish it, but it never works until this point. And so Jesus comes and reestablishes the link. And he says, all you have to do now is to accept that it's done. You don't, you don't have to do anything. That's what grace is. That's why the love of God is this amazing grace. Because essentially, we, all we have to do is, is say, thank you. And we then become, again, collaborators. And that's why we, we spend so much time on this. Because it matters what we do. It matters how we treat other human beings. Not because of anything other than they have intrinsic value, every single one of them. It matters how we treat our pets, our, the creation all around us, because it will make a difference. What we do now makes a difference for eternity. I haven't got time again this morning to revisit the whole thing of heaven. I'm not interested in heaven when I die. Because there is life after life after death. Now, that we won't worry about now. But the point is that there is this period. I know my mom died when I was a teenager. And there's a sense in which when you move through that veil, if you like, of death, that then everything is completed because there's no time outside of this little bubble. But essentially... When everything is complete, then we will be back in a position when Jesus reappears, if you like, when the whole of this particular world is wrapped up. So there is life after death, but there is life after life after death. Because what happens then is that God says, well, we can get back to what I really had in mind in the beginning. We can, we, can, we can collaborate together. We can have a relationship where we are able to do stuff. And we don't actually know 
When Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, what he's trying to express is something like this, is that there is such a vast mystery that is so exciting that it's not going to be possible to use language that we have here to describe it. If you think of any one of the David Attenborough series and you think that God has just played up until this point, resurrection is the eighth day. Now, in the first three centuries of the church, they called it the eighth day. And in fact, when they started to build churches, they built them as, as octagons. They had eight sides because they wanted to be reminded. The baptismal fonts, I don't know if it's still like this, the baptismal fonts in the early churches that were built all had eight sides because they were saying, when we baptize you, when you come into relationship with Jesus, you are actually now, you've already entered in the eighth day. It's very exciting. I find it very exciting. I, I, I think sometimes people don't believe you when you say that you're not that worried about dying. But Jesus didn't just get resurrected to make the broken thing fix it. He, he, he's resurrected to initiate a whole new sense of what's possible. To show us what it's like. C.S. Lewis is, I think, still one of, uh, perhaps even more than some of the, 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 the major church people or theologians of the last century. He, he has a handle on resurrection that I think is brilliant. What he says is that resurrection is more real, the resurrected life is more real than the life we have now. And he says it's like this. It's like when you walk into a room and there's one of these old cinemas, home movie things with the reels. For those of you who are under 40, maybe you've never seen one. But we used to show the Jesus film in Zambia with these big reels and, you know, winding them on a stick and all sorts of other things. But when you, when you show it in a room, you've got this beam of light. And all, all the figures that are on the screen are actually dancing through the the light on the way to the screen and he said the resurrection and what we, we read of Jesus coming into the, into the room the resurrection is like this it's like the movie showing of life and Jesus walks into the beam and he's part of life but he's more real than what we think of as real life okay I've got lost in my notes completely now so Maybe I should just end off by saying this. I had lots of really good stuff to tell you guys here. Okay. So the collaboration doesn't only start when we physically die. It starts now. Lord... Your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, over to you, Sam. What are you going to do this week? How are you going to live? How are you going to treat the people you work with? How are you going to treat the environment? What are you going to do about 
the broken person in the flat next to yours. The, the question is, whatever we do now actually makes a difference. Not just for that person or it's just some sort of nebulous thing, but it actually is part of the whole exciting thing of creating what's going to be there. Oh, one last thing I will say is that when Jesus comes into the room and Thomas kind of is still somewhat skeptical after the fact that he missed out on the first round, Jesus says to him, come here, buddy. He says, feel this. Stick your hand in here. The wounds of Jesus are still part of the new creation. Somehow, it's a bit of a mystery for us, I think, because we understand as you read Revelation that evil will come to an end. But the wounds of this period of history will somehow still be there. So the way in which we've ravaged certain parts of our globe, there will be wounds. We are culpable, and I think especially the church, in Western culture and the way that our society has been predicated on taking as much as we can. Okay, let's just end with this, and I'll, I'll read this. It's 1 Corinthians 15. If you have time to do a bit of reflection today, read 1 Corinthians 15. It's a bit of a complicated pattern, so don't read it in the NIV or the old translations. Get yourself kind of a funky new one, because actually it's hard to whip the thread through, because it's quite complex. But in verse 58, so way into the whole process, Paul says, So my dear family... These were these Corinthians who were really messed up when you read the rest of the letters. He says, So my dear family, be steadfast, immovable, and always overflowing in the Lord's work. Because remember that in the Lord your work is not in vain. But you say, look, I, I, I try to be kind, I do this, I do that. It doesn't seem to make much of a difference. It still looks like violence and injustice and, you know, you keep naming all those things, still, still has the upper hand. And true, it does look like that. But what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, what he's saying to us, what Jesus says to us, is that it does make a difference. Not maybe within the next short time span, which what is 100 years or so, but in the entire span of history, these things are all made sense of. Here's what the early church believed. The resurrection means that what we do in the present matters into God's future. Maybe that's the best place to end. Let me say it again. The resurrection means that what we do in the present matters into God's future. And it's going to be an interesting future.